Drop in the untold stories of industry leaders, influencers, and insights on future innovation. I'm John Davidson, and this is the DLC DLC Drop Drop Podcast. Podcast. All right. Welcome, everybody, to the DLC Drop Podcast. It is my pleasure to welcome my friend, Mayor Masso, a three-term mayor of Sports City, USA, Frisco, Texas, and now principal at Ryan, the largest tax firm in the world dedicated exclusively to business taxes, where I believe you're facilitating public and private partnerships throughout Texas. Is that right? Absolutely. And thanks for having me here. And yeah, Ryan is the largest non-accounting tax firm in the country and so what I focus on is uh, business incentives, site selection, public-private partnerships, and still doing a lot of public speaking like this. So thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, thank you for taking the time. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people know who you are. You have great reputation, and you're somebody who has so much significance, especially in this area. But take me back. Where does the Mayor Masso story start before the mayor and the site selection and, and the business career? You bet. And first, that reputation, don't hold that against me. I'll try to really get past that. But, you know, uh, really my government life started in Frisco, Texas. uh, Mm -hmm. And I moved there in 1992. And you got to remember, back in 1992 in Frisco, uh, many of your listeners may not know where that is. Look it up and we'll give you some indicators of where it really is and you'll understand later in the show. Yeah. But Frisco was 6,500 people. Wow. It It was basically a farm. Uh, you had one, what is it today? Is it yeah, two hundred over two hundred thousand? Wow. So so back in nineteen ninety two, there was a blinking yellow traffic light, right? Uh, no traffic lights. Couldn't buy a pair of socks in town. Yeah. Typically drove over dirt roads to go grocery shopping in another town, and wow. and everybody knew everybody. Everybody was related. So you found that out really quick if you talked about somebody that was someone's cousin. You know, so so you had <laughs> to course. be really careful. So that that's you know, and I moved there young, had a, a new newborn. Uh, it was close to where I worked, and little did I know what's going to become out there. And, wow. and and you mentioned how did I get started, right? Well, yeah, building a new house, wanted a circular driveway. The HOA said, no, you can't have it. <laughs> and I obviously didn't like that. And so I be- got on the board of the HOA, became mm. the president, and got my circular driveway. So wow. you could say I was an activist, right? But yeah. Um, at that time, this was one of the bigger HOAs. There was only two in Frisco. Okay. And so you slowly got involved in the school district. They helped me. I had an old uh, IT background, which means nothing today, right? From sure. From the 80s, CPM days and bulletin board systems. And so we helped the school district, which at the time had three schools, uh, start thinking about what they're going to do in the technology world we're living in. Mm. How do they incorporate that into the curriculum? And from there, I started getting more and more involved, and the, the rest is history. Wow. So it sounds like you just, you took action with the problem that you had. And then it sounds like you recognized opportunity. Things kind of, did you just kind of feel your way through as opportunity arose and you saw where you could move forward? Yeah. I I mean, I think fundamentally I just did things I enjoyed and fundamentally Mm. I did things I knew. And so like helping with the school district, what we didn't know is the school district is the fast growing school district in the country. They had three schools, right? Wow. Well, in the year 1996, they had six schools. Okay. Today there's over 76. So it's almost twice as fast growing as the second fast growing school district in the country, opening three to four schools every year. So just getting involved at that level, doing something I enjoyed and knew about, which was technology, uh, was really important at the time for that community. And it also showed me the importance of volunteerism, getting mm. involved, making a difference. Absolutely. And so it, again, that started me on the path of uh, being an elected official, but I didn't know it at the time. Right. And yeah. so your first time with city or looking to get into the city council, you didn't win. Do I have right, that right? Right. So what was that? You know, did that, did you feel like that was a step back at the time or were you just saying, Hey, no, we're going to persevere. And because four years later you made it in. Yeah. So, so it wasn't really an intentional decision, um, but it was a wonderful decision. I learned a lot and I learned why not to run for city council. Okay. You know, when, when I was encouraged to run the time I asked people, well, you know, what's that? What's the city council? That's yeah. how little I knew, right? Sure. Um, so it doesn't matter. We'll help you. And really, I ran for a very specific reason, the wrong reason to run, mm. which we had, a, believe it or not, a, a, an airport in Frisco. We had a runway. Okay, yeah. And the city was split in half. Uh, you know, there was trying, the city was trying to grow the runway, and the residents, some residents didn't want it. Mm. So the developers basically pitted Old Town, the original parts of Frisco, Right. Against the new parts of town, which were considered the rich people, right? Which, of course, demographically, they weren't really wealthy, but compared to the original uh, residents, you know, they could say they had some money. 
Sure. And so it became a very, very brutal battle. And I was asked to run because I was part of the contingent of the anti-crowd. Mm. You know, my brother-in-law is a former CEO and chairman of Boeing. I, I knew airplanes. My son's a pilot. Mm. Um, and I thought it was a bad idea for a fast-growth community to have an airport right in the middle of it. Okay. Uh, I love planes, loved airports, but it just wasn't the right place. And so I was a one-issue candidate. So it was everybody else that ran. Mm. Uh, and so, again, it was split right down the middle. And the, the people that were for the airport actually won. Okay. Um, it was a 52% to 48% election. Most turnout wow. ever that in a city like percentage. That sounds like national politics. Yeah, yeah basically. And uh, yeah. so you really didn't have to campaign on anything. You were either mm. for the airport or against, which was the wrong reason to run. But it, it worked out. Uh, and uh, learned a lot about politics, and I was convinced to run again, as you mentioned, four years later. Again, I was dragged kicking and screaming, like, why do I really want to do this again? Right. But by then, a lot of the people we that were opposed uh, to to our campaign, the people that were against the airport, became friends. Mm. You know, you learn that politics, you yeah. know, you can have a disagreement, but you get to know each other. Hey, you, we like each other. Right. We just don't agree on this issue. Good point. And so— from that first run, a lot of the people that weren't on my side became my biggest cheerleaders. And mm. so it was, you know, it was easily uh, an easy campaign the first time I ran. So, and then if I have it right, and you became mayor of Frisco in 2008, mm-hmm. what's, what was the biggest difference in city council versus being the guy? Oh boy. Yeah. A lot of differences. Um, you know, I was a very active council member. I was the mayor pro tem um, numerous times. So I, I filled the role of the mayor when they, they were not available. Um, but, you know, again, when I finished, we, were, we had term limits. When I finished being on council, I thought I was retiring. I was done. Mm. I'm a business person, right? right. Um, but I had enough people that really wanted me to run for mayor. And when I told them no, they put more pressure and more pressure. And came the day and said, look, okay, if you people that are encouraging me to run mm-hmm. will stay by my side and be part of it, I'll do it. Okay, and this remember two thousand eight was the worldwide economic collapse. Right here we are in Frisco, we were building three thousand new homes a year. <laughs> uh, if you ask me what what year a building opened, a city building, whether it's a fire headquarters or police headquarters or city hall or senior center or rec center, all opened in two thousand and six. Oh wow! So think about the the success of the city. Now they're asking me to run for mayor. When it's going to tank, right? <laughs> we knew yeah, we saw it coming, right? Yeah. So, um, so when I became and I was elected mayor, it was by almost eighty percent. Um, I had to deal with a slowdown. We never stopped growing. We mm. slowed down to a thousand new homes a year. Okay, uh, but we had to figure out how to really be careful. Uh, we we froze hiring. We froze uh, taxes. We we were we knew people were having difficulty, mm. and so we made a commitment. And I made a commitment that. We're not going to do anything to hurt our families. We're going to just live with what we have and figure it out. Yeah. And we did. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, you mentioned you're a businessman. And so you do a lot of business with Ryan and you have a business background. What would you say are the biggest differences or some similarities between politics and business in your experience? Well, first, let me let me kind of touch on the, the differences. Um, sure. It's really interesting to watch elected officials, um, especially people that may have some background in business, but not much, they'll sit there and they'll campaign and they'll pound their hands on the table, right? Yeah. And they'll say, if I'm elected, we're going to run this city like a business. Yeah. Well, I have news for them. It's not a business. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Good point. There's one really major difference. Okay. One major difference between a business and a public entity like a city. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's what the the best way to explain is research and development. So Mm. a company your company or any of the listeners here, uh, if they're not doing research and development, they're going to go bankrupt. They're going to be out of business. Right. Whether it's new services, new products. And, and the, you know, we can take out a list of name brands that are no longer around, right? Sure. Why? Because they didn't adapt. The mm-hmm. Sears, the department stores, right? Yeah. Uh, the airlines, Eastern Airlines. Mm-hmm. What, what, what was the differentiator between them and the other entities that were in their space? Yeah. Typically, it's they were happy they were making money, never looked ahead, yes. never diversified, never thought, what's next? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's their R&D? Um, cities don't typically have that luxury. For mm. example, let's talk about Texas cities. Okay. You know, the revenue stream for Texas cities is really one of 
two things, the major revenue streams, and that's property taxes yeah. and sales tax. Mm-hmm. They have some minor, you know, permitting fees and other fees, but typically their budgets are made up of property and sales tax. Some cities in Texas don't really have much sales tax. They don't really sell a lot of things. Yeah, uh, They don't have department stores or malls, so it's mostly property tax. They can't just go create a new product or a new service and charge for it. Right. So they have to figure out how to live within those constraints. Mm. So when somebody says we're going to run it like a business, no, you have to think outside that box a little bit. Yeah. And so in Frisco, we came to create our own R&D. Okay. It was a little different, but when we thought about that and we, we graphed how cities grow and how they face challenges, it was very typical. When you're growing, if you graph it, there's a revenue stream goes up, you know, a nice clip, right? When yeah. you're growing, a growing city will get new revenue. Sure. And that expense line is right underneath it, going up also. Uh, okay? Yeah. The moment you Human resources, stop growing, the expenses don't stop. They don't stop, do they? Mm, so taxes go up, services go down, the cities deteriorate. Okay. Uh, it's, it's, it's just a repeating. You can see it in almost any city around the country. Roads, Ooh. an average street life is 30 years. You got to rebuild the road, mm. fire station roof. So that's that's the problem with cities. So would you also say it's more difficult for cities to cut expenses than maybe a business because I don't you know from on the national level maybe you have entitlement spending and things of that nature right. but once you get used to spending it seems it's very difficult. Really hard to take those things very, away, very right? Difficult. Part of it is choice, uh, but I would say most of it is something they don't have a choice in. So getting back to the R&D, mm-hmm. in Frisco we we figured out our R&D is uh, tourism. Yeah. So take our two ta- our two revenue streams, property and sales tax. How do we improve them? So we're going to talk about sports a lot here, I'm sure. Yes. Uh, well, that wasn't by chance. It was part of our strategic plan yeah. to strengthen the revenue stream so we don't have to deal. Uh, when we get Jimmy Buffett into town, $6 million impact, the NCAA mm. Division One football championship, North Dakota State University comes almost every year. Right. 16,000. Wow. And that's over a $7 million direct impact the city. Mm. So so that that is problematic in its own if you don't figure out how to handle your expenses. Cities, a major part of their budget um, is public safety, fire police. Yeah. And so it's very hard to cut that out. And, and they're going to – cities are going to face challenges this year because of COVID. Right, because their property taxes, at least in Texas, are probably going to go down. Hmm. Uh, because don't mind do. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, homes may not because they're based. The housing market's hot right now. Yeah. Okay, they're based on comps, comparables with homes that sold near them. Yeah. Well, in the business community, it's based on rent rolls, revenue, hmm. not the building and land value. So when a restaurant's not paying their rent, or a theater, or a mall, um, their rent rolls drop, which means the property values, taxes drop, which means less okay. revenue for the city. So I'm worried about this here for cities' budgets. Yeah. yeah, interesting. So one thing I'm interested too in is, and I've, I'm starting to experience this a little bit, and I, I've seen you do it uh, very well, is sitting on the other side of the table from what your experience has been. So at Frisco, you know, we all know you did a fantastic job bringing in all of these, attracting these companies to come invest in Frisco, put your uh, your headquarters in Frisco. Now you're on the other side of the table at Ryan. Talk about how being on this side helps you to then go over to this side and educate brands on what they should be doing instead of pulling them in, recruiting them. Sure. So it's it's funny. Um, it's going to be a long-winded answer here, but first let me step back to Texas as a as an example, Yeah. Uh, wherever the listeners are from. Um, so in Texas, um, there's only two types of cities. Home rule and general law. Okay. And general law means they're small, typically under 5,000, and they run under the general laws of the state of Texas. Home rule, when a city reaches 5,000, they can have an election and create their own rules. Mm. So it's really important to think and understand that. And it's very similar in some other states around the country. Each city operates differently. The citizens create the charter, which creates their rules. Mm. And that's a big deal when you're doing business in a city. You can't assume that a city next door does the same things as business the same way you do. Yeah. And so from a business perspective, you have to understand the community you're looking at or doing business in. So what's really different is not much. Mm. I mean, you know, the city managers used to uh, 
get a little stressed out when I told them, I don't care how much this costs, <laughs> right? You know, yeah, the, of they're course. responsible <laughs> for the budget, right? I, that's not an important question to me. We spend $90 million to get the Dallas Cowboys in our city. Mm. What do I care that we spend $90 million? It's taxpayer dollars. And yeah. I'm saying that facetiously. So, you know, I've got somebody's listening saying, well, it's a tax to spend. <laughs> like, no, the, the real question is not how much something costs you. Mm-hmm. It's what's the return to your taxpayer? Mm. What's the benefit? Mm. Quality of life, education, low taxes. So, for example, Frisco has one of the lowest property taxes in North Texas. Meanwhile, the city owns every professional stadium. We have every professional team in the city. Yeah. Uh, FC Dallas, the Hunts, and which they also own Kansas City Chiefs. Yep. You have the Dallas Stars corporate headquarters practice facility, Dallas Cowboys headquarters and practice facility. You have uh, the Rough Riders, which is the Rangers AA affiliate. Uh, you also PGA have the well. PGAs coming, which is going to be amazing. Started nego- I started negotiating with them in February 2015. I was wow. the mayor. Took several years to put that together. You have the Mavericks Development League, the G League, uh, the Legends. And you um, have Complexity Gaming. Complexity Gaming, Which e-sports. I did the GameStop Performance Center deal with them. There I love looking at that yeah. sign and saying, yeah. yes, we yeah. did it. <laughs> well, that's all part of the tourism. It's also part of investing in your community. All those stadiums, I mean, the FC Dallas, Toyota Stadium, where Jimmy Buffett comes and plays concerts or FC yeah. Dallas plays or the NCAA Division One football championship, you know, the city invested $65 million into that. Wow. Okay? Do, does it matter when you when you have 10 NCAA Division One football championships over 10 years at 6 or $7 million each, direct impact? We got our money long ago. Yeah. Uh, the, the Cowboys facility, we invested $90 million and. Everybody loved the Cowboys coming to town. That was one of the more interesting. Of course, yeah. It took us about two weeks to really shake hands on that deal, uh-huh. and everything else was just the details. Wow. So Jerry Jones, when he came to Frisco, everybody was excited. But poor poor man, if there was a problem in the city, he was blamed for it. In other words, if-, if <laughs> His you, helicopter if, flying yeah, in? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was the story itself. If you, if you want to hear that story, I can tell you about the helicopter. But the reality is, if your neighbor's dog uses your yard for a bathroom, mm. they'd call the city all mad. Why can't we stop that? We gave Jerry Jones $90 million, but we can't stop the neighbor's dog. Right. right. So he was the crutch of all problems. Oh, I right? gotcha. But the reality is, we never really gave him any money. Mm. We didn't give the Cowboys money. We invested $90 million mm-hmm. into a stadium owned by the taxpayer. We own that stadium. Right. Okay? Meanwhile, the, the Cowboys organization, the Jones family, invested... Last time I looked was around 170, 180 million of their own dollars mm. into the stadium. They wanted it nicer, you know, more professional. Yeah. And so now you have an asset worth 275 million, approximately. That's taxpayer owned for only 90 million. Meanwhile, I think everybody can agree it's a huge tourism draw. Absolutely. The Omni Hotel. You have their headquarters, the restaurants, and then forgetting that it's a sports facility, the school district participated in it. It's their stadium right. also. Yeah, Isn't that I, unbelievable? I mean, it's like... <laughs> well, the, I, I see those, those high school games on Friday nights, and yeah. I can only imagine if I was a high school kid and I was playing in this, what is Same it? Same field the Cowboys th- play on, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're, they're, the, the, the Cowboys and Dak Prescott's walking off, the high school quarterback's walking on, and we've seen right. that, right? Yeah. And, and so, you know, I played on mud fields when I was in high school. Yeah. And so now they're a professional stadium, but that's not even the beauty of it. What people mm. miss is that's an educational facility. Those kids are being taught by the number one sports franchise in the world, number Mm -hmm. one value in the world, sports medicine, sports research, media, uh, training, sales, marketing. They're being mentored. So when they leave high school in Frisco, they step down anywhere they go, college or professional. Mm -hmm. They are now being mentored by the true pros. And so what value... Is that so? When I say, really doesn't matter what it costs. What's the return? That's what I mean by it. Interesting. Well, you see, with the University of North Texas as well, I'm on the yeah. board, their board for their sports management MBA. Yes, and they have a deal with the Cowboys, mm-hmm. and they're right there next to the star for one of their uh, their locations. Sure. And to see, I'm friends with some of their students, and just to see that one on one, it's amazing. Learning, isn't it? You can't beat it anywhere. Doctor Smastrick's great. That's how I sold the project to him. He sat in my office. And then uh, Brent Ryan, my, the chairman and founder of my company, was the chairman of the board of UNT. Mm, so we had this cool. connection. I said, you need to be in Frisco. Yeah. Why? Well, look at all these partnerships. And this is a great opportunity for the students. 
So that's, you know, it's much more than about sports. It's really about quality of life. It's about getting engaged. So what I would say is your original question was, what's the difference between being on both sides? Really, there isn't. They're all, it's not a competition. Mm. It's not something that you're arguing about. It's finding ways that everybody wins. Yeah. So uh, on the corporate side, it's a really easy thing for me to do because I know what the city's needs are. They want these companies to come talk to them. They yeah. want to partner with them. As long as they can create jobs, every resident of the community deserves the opportunity to have a job and provide mm. for their family. Cities want that. So I would say to you, not enough companies approach these cities. So they'll hire someone like me or Ryan to come help them and it's not that difficult. How many jobs are you creating? Yeah. What's the average salaries? What benefit are you to the community? And then what would you do if the city partnered with you? Mm. You know, what would you do more to provide more jobs or a better facility? And so everyone wins. It's it's a return that everybody's happy with. Yeah. And so really wasn't any different than I did when I was an elected official. Uh, I just yeah, able I'm able to really help guide these companies to make the right decision or find the right site that works for them. That makes a lot of sense. That's what I've found um, that's helped my business in the esports space is knowing, when you know what someone's problems are, bringing a solution. You're not selling them. No, no. You're helping them find a solution that they're searching for. Yeah. it's a good point. So uh, the, there's famously the $5 billion mile. Yeah. Maybe it's the $8 billion mile nowadays in Frisco. Um, what what drove that? Was was that that you had to get one and the, the dominoes fell or... or how did that come about? Well, you know, that's interesting. Is. So I would say to you that's a really good lesson in marketing. Um, you know, first, uh, the 5 billion mile, we had multiple large partnerships and yeah. large projects. One of them obviously was the Star, which is the Dallas Cowboys, yep. 91 acres. Then you had a partnership that surrounded them with Hillwood, Van Trust, and the Redmond partnership called Frisco Station. Yep. I believe it was about 240 acres. And then uh, a group out of Dubai on the north side, 43 acres, called The Gate. And then you had a first person that came to the dance with us, I call, uh, who really believed in Frisco when it, Frisco was a farm, was mm. Craig Hall, Hall Office Park, 17 office buildings, which is yeah. now even being as young as it is, being reimagined into mixed use mm-hmm. uh, and new buildings being torn down to build them bigger and better. Mm. Um, so when we looked at those, we started putting the value of them we're at $5 billion. Wow. So a lady named Darcy Shore um, was with our EDC. She's public relations and marketing. Yep. Said, you know, that that's $5 billion mile because within a mile radius. It's a great slogan. Great yeah. And so that really took off. And you cannot monetize how much free marketing we got all over the world and how many interviews I did all over the world yeah. about the $5 billion mile. So go show you if your funds are low and you can't really spend on advertising, <laughs> think outside the box. What do you have that's mm. unique? And so the $5 billion mile, which is probably closer to eight now, it's, it's sure. what I tell people when, if you visited Frisco, visited the Cowboys headquarters because it's open to the public, yeah. <clears throat> the, the stadium and all the things that go with it, uh, or Frisco Station or the Hall Park, you look at there and it looks pretty impressive. It's really cool. It right? is. But it's only about 30% done. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, so uh, wow. yeah, you've heard me say the best is yet to come, right? Yeah. I mean that in many different ways uh, for our communities, all our communities, mm. um, our country, our state. Um, you know, we go through little little challenges. That's what I call sure. them are bigger than than usual, but you right. always overcome them. Yeah. So you've had a lot of experience in leadership, and a lot of people look up to you as a great leader. What are um, What are some keys to leadership as a servant leader that you found successful or also found that have inspired you and others? Yeah, you know, um, I've given a few talks at the the schools and colleges about there's this perception that if you're a CEO of a company, you've got to be mean and you have to be ruthless. And my experience is the exact opposite of that. I had a mm-hmm. meeting with an unnamed big developer this morning at his house Um he has you know, people helping there. He's a very wealthy, as you imagine, his own jet and helicopter. Yeah. And half the time we discussed how he wants to help the homeless people in Dallas. Wow. And how government's mm. not cutting it. We got to come together as um, business people and figure it out. Yeah. Um, you know, so I was trying to explain to the, the high school and college kids that 
you know, being successful, the most successful people I know mm-hmm. uh, have a strong faith system, have a belief in the human condition. Uh, they really try to mentor people. They'll assign executives to nonprofits to help them. Uh, mm. And so this this perception of somebody that wants to be you know, become successful and become a CEO, sometimes they have it wrong. They 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 you know the CEO is very smart, uh, very strategic, knows how to lead by example. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not about being ruthless. It's mm. people don't want to work for that person. We've all seen it. So in in our world, there's two types of leaders, right? Yeah. Uh, we have uh, the positional leader. And we have the servant leader. Yeah. The positional leader, I would put to you, a mayor could be a servant leader, uh, a positional leader. Sure. You don't need to be anything special to get elected. You just have to be good at marketing. You market <laughs> yourself, right? Right. So all of a sudden, you're the mayor of a city, and you have control of public safety. You have control of quality of life. Uh, what's your qualifications? You may not mm-hmm. have them. And what kind of person are you? Mm-hmm. So that's a positional leader. You could be a great mayor. You could yeah. be a terrible mayor. Sure. Okay. And then there's a servant leader where they're a leader because others chose them. Others follow them because they choose to follow them. Yeah. They inspire, they mentor, they teach. And they have a bad employee. They don't always you know, yell and scream. They find a reason why they're not doing their job. Yeah. Maybe they're in the wrong role. And mm-hmm. they find, So you know, a, a servant leader cares about the community, cares about their employees, uh, and wants the company to be successful, which means the people in the company. Mm. And so it's very clear to me when I meet somebody, are they a positional leader or are they a servant leader? Right. I think we all can tell, right? I think yeah. so. Yeah. yeah, my first office job that um, encouraged me to pursue my education, get my marketing or anything, was Beers and Cutler in Washington, D.C., one of the top 50 best places to work in D.C. at the time. My office uh, manager, Vanita McKnight, was my job. Or Vanita McKnight was my boss. And when you got called into her office, you were terrified, but you left inspired. And so she would hold you accountable. And if you dropped the ball on something, she'd say, John or Mayor, what went wrong in this situation? You had to be honest with her. You know, and there were a couple of times I I dropped the ball. Well, and you know, you're scared, right? Well, what can we put into place? this doesn't happen again. And she would work with you, Mm -hmm. develop a plan. And then you were excited because number one, you were set up for success, but you knew she had your back at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. My, my wife told me a story once uh, that stuck with me. I love it because it really explains it. Um, It's uh, a guy that was young, that was in charge of a big portfolio, made a mistake, Mm. cost the company $2 million. Right. Wow. And the next day he had a meeting with the CEO and He's thinking, I'm getting fired. I might as well start cleaning out my desk. And he walked in the CEO's office. She asked him to sit down. What's going on? What's, what, how's your day? What, what projects we're working on? He looked at him and goes, aren't you going to fire me for what, what happened with a mistake and $2 million? He yeah. goes, are you kidding me? I just invested $2 million in you. Why would I fire you? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, Strong point. So it, it's really, and that's yeah, the company I'm with, Ryan, um, mm-hmm. Brent Ryan, the founder, has figured it out. Uh, over 3,000 employees still growing rapidly even during these difficult times. Mm-hmm. Um, last time I checked, it was like 93 or 97% of the uh, Dow Jones Industrial clients, uh, wow. the majority of the Fortune 500s. And he has figured out people. He's figured out, you know, uh, COVID-19 restrictions, people are not going to the office now, right? Right. Well, before COVID-19, we didn't have to go in the office. Mm. And he realized for uh, for efficient employees to have uh, the best output, uh, they have to take care of themselves first and mm. take care of their families first. So if your son or daughter had a doctor appointment, go take him to the doctor. Yeah, they have a big play at school. Go watch the play. Mm. You know, doesn't really matter. There, there's no nine to five. You do your work, deliver what you're supposed to deliver. Yeah, it can be on a Sunday. It can be on a Saturday. Take care of yourself, take care of your family, be healthy. Mm. Um, that's always been the approach, and that's why Ryan has some of the best people in the industry. Yeah. Um, 52 practice areas, the largest property tax in the country and in Texas. Um, they they have figured out that everything they do is about partnership. Uh, they're, they, they've found a way in almost every instance to bypass the consulting fees or the upfront fees. It's 
They yeah. partner with these companies, and if they find them savings, they figure it out, uh, then they share in it. So mm. it's they become like a department. And I love that model because that's how I grew up in political office. Yeah. It's a public-private partnership. It's a true partnership. Everyone wins. Uh, the, you're, you're not arguing. You're all on the same page, and you bring the best in the business to help. Mm. And so even the, the big players, some of the biggest Fortune 500s, uh, and I've relocated one of them, the site selection project, um, they depend on Ryan to make sure the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted. Yeah. Uh, so they're very good at what they do, and I love that model. It's working out great. Well, it sounds like a really, really a people-first approach. Absolutely. And I, I preach this all the time with the esports audience because young people, especially gamers, they demand more from brands that are sponsoring their activities. Right. Yeah. It has to be about the community, not about the brand. Well, I think that's true across maybe all industries and all facets of life. When you explain what Ryan is doing here, if you're taking care of people, not only are they happy there, you're going to keep them longer, but also for recruiting, you're going to get the best people. Absolutely. And you need, if arguably, you need good people who you can trust if you're going to let them kind of do their own schedule. Right. But if you let them do that, then you're going to be able to attract the best people who are going to also return the favor and drive ROI and get things done for you when you give them that flexibility. So, I mean, just think about yourself, you know, it's never about the money. It's about, are you happy doing your job? Are you, do you feel like you're growing? Yeah. Uh, one of the things that was really interesting, um, one of the first people of the city that came to me saying, you know, look, I, we got a better job. We're going to move to this other city. Yeah. And I said, well, congratulations. We're so excited for you. And they looked at me and I said, man, it, it's great. And they mm. asked me, like, why are you so happy that I'm leaving? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not happy that you're leaving. We, you know, I love the work you did. Yeah. But it shows that you've grown. You've become better because of being part of our organization. Mm. And our goal is for you to grow and get better. We hope you grow here. But if there's not a role here, we, we don't want you to be stuck here. Go keep growing. Yeah, you know, lifelong education, improving your situation. We are excited. It means we were successful. Mm. It means we helped make you a better person, and that makes our day, right? And so not many companies approach it like that, which is interesting. They get mad, you know. It's like, sure. You, you allowed this situation to happen where this person has become valuable, and now they need to go on to the next thing. That's right. a success story. Yeah, and you talk about, uh, well, you know, word of mouth is probably one of the most effective forms of, well, anybody's opinion, marketing, business, referrals. If you're supporting a, an employee like that, you're enabling them to go off. Maybe you lose that employee, but what are they going to talk about when they talk about their old company? Yeah, exactly. You might bring in five, 10 other great people, or you're going to just at least build a great reputation about your company. Yeah. And you're improving people. You're improving, you know, you want people to think outside the box. You don't want them to be between these two lines. Um, you know, you like again back to Ryan, the company. They almost like an entrepreneur spirit. You're you're allowed mm. to critically think and figure out better ways to do things. In fact, that that's expected. Yeah. You know what? What? How do we do this better? How do we improve? And how do we improve the employee's life? Mm. That's a question that's asked. Uh, whether it's through health and wellness, or you know, quality of life, or education. Um, I'll use again back to Frisco as an example. This was a farm. Yeah. Okay. This this was farm. Today, it's the most advanced city in the in the, I'd say in the country. Wow. Uh, you can drive in new Audi on on the main road, which is called Preston Road, the main highway, through the town. Uh, your dash will tell you what speed to do to hit every green light, or when you're stopped at a red light, it has a countdown timer. Wow. We 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 thought of these things. These are employees that said, you know, putting up a lot of traffic lights. We can do this. Let's look at roundabouts or. You know, we partner with the Hillwood folks, the first eVTOL in the world It's going to be tested in Frisco. Mm. Electrical vertical takeoff and landing vehicle. It was a partnership that's yeah. going to go from the Hillwood property, which is Frisco Station. Wow. Um, you know, it, 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 these are that's what partnerships create. Everybody's creative. Everybody comes with new ways to improve the lifestyles and the situation. So I can't tell you how many good ideas have come from our staff, from our residents, new ways to do things. Um, our partners, whether it's the Hunts at FC Dallas yep. or the Jones family at the Cowboys, we're always, you know, sharing ideas of better ways to do things. And Craig Hall has been amazing to work with. It's It's been a really good project. 
I, you know, I can start naming off projects. You know, the Dubai Group, Dr. Kaspari, international firm, the first project in the country in the U.S. They chose Frisco, mm. and you know, they they've been a true partner of building it out and being creative and meeting the needs of the community. So it's it's been fun to watch. That's incredible. So when you talk about communities, what, in your opinion and your experience, makes a community thrive? Well, that, you know, that's a very tough question. And there, and sometimes I would get the question, what's the top three things a city has done? Sure. And I would tell there isn't really top three. Mm-hmm. The, the, the community, I look at it as a living thing. Yeah. You know, can you function without your arm? Sure. You know, it's a little harder, but you'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, from a city perspective, being well-balanced. Mm. You know, some cities want to be the best at one thing. And they forget who they are. You know, it's public health, safety, and welfare. You're not there to just be there. Oh, you know, yeah. public safety for your families, number one. So many of the things that are really important in community, education. You'll notice in Frisco, um, they're partnered with us on everything. They're independent. But instead of building a $60 and $70 million football stadium, they partnered with us on Toyota Stadium, which is the soccer stadium, yeah. and the Ford Center, which is the Cowboy Stadium. Right. So you have high schools that are now using two professional stadiums as their home stadiums. Incredible. And they think, well, that costs a lot. No, as we discussed earlier, not only did it not cost a lot, it costs less than a regular football stadium to them, right. but they don't really pay maintenance and operation, which is forever. You know, mm. to operate a high school football stadium can be 300000 a year. Wow. You know, our school system really doesn't do that. So there's ways that the taxpayers give value. So what's really important to a community is balance. Mm. You know, some people want a strong library system and hike and bike trails or, you know, those are things that wants. And then, then the needs are critical public safety, education, infrastructure, you 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 call the fire truck. You want the fire truck to come. <laughs> We're not yes. like the federal government. We have to balance our budget, and we actually have to send the fire truck when you call. Right. You know. <laughs> uh, you know. Local government is the closest to the people. Yeah. The taxes they pay to the local government stay in their community. Mm-hmm. When I pay taxes to the county or the state or the federal government, I have no idea where the money's going. You yeah. see bits and pieces of it. Right. But there, they're investing and they're meeting the council members and mayor at the grocery store. Mm. And they see them in the community. And the mayor and council drive over the same roads. Their kids go to the same schools. When they have an emergency, they call the same fire and police department. Yeah. And so that's the best government. But some people just, they forget that. You know, everybody gets carried away with state elections and federal elections. And are important. They're important. Of course, yeah. But you better pay attention who you're electing to city council. They're, they're setting your tax rate. Right. They're setting how good is that fire department. Uh, how good is that police department? How do we serve Absolutely. the residents? Do you have ball fields for your kids to enjoy or music programs and the arts? So to me, a city that succeeds, and I think Frisco succeeds, so. well-balanced. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's a, they really excel at the things they do. A point you made there about how the, you know, the local government is the closest to your, your life, your sure. experience. Um, one thing that I became aware of not too long ago is the low voter turnout for local elections. Yeah, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Nationally, I know it's pretty low based on other developed nations, but local, what is the percentage? Do you know the percentage offhand? Well, it's changed over the years, but a typical council race of registered voters, maybe 6 to 10%. Yeah, A mayor's race yeah. may reach 15 in normal times, right? Well, this year's a little different because they held it during national elections. Yeah, Usually in Texas, it's during... Municipal elections are in May. Sure. So, you you know, you, but why should it be different? You're going to elect a president and a congressman. You're probably never going to see them. Right. And they're one voice out of many if it's a congressman. Mm-hmm. You're electing six, you know, four to six council members. They're going to set your property tax rate. You know, you right. write that check every year. Uh, get that they, right. Just let them miss picking up your garbage for a week and see how mad you get, right? Yeah. Or somebody's vandalizing your street or you don't have a sidewalk to walk on or your kids don't have a ball field to play soccer or football on. That Those decisions impact you every day, uh, yeah. every day. And so you're, you're absolutely right. And I, and I tell that too when I speak to government class in the college, for example. Yeah. In Frisco, one of the uh, election polling locations was in the college. Mm-hmm. 
So one day I went and spoke to a, a um, um, government class at college. Yeah. Maybe 50 feet outside the door was a polling location. So we were talking about politics, and I looked at him. And some of these are, you know, 20-year-olds. Some are older adults, 30, 35, 40. Sure. Um, I looked at him and I said, you know what, you, you young, just out of high school students in here, you don't matter. And they looked at me and I said, yeah, we know as elected officials, you don't vote. Yeah, you know, we could we could spend right. a lot of money trying to reach you and maybe get a few more votes out of you. Mm. But historically, you're not going to vote, no wow. matter what we do. Yeah. So your voice, nobody's listening to you. you wow. Know? I mean, they don't spend, you know, when we go knock door to door, we have a list of who votes. Right. We know who's going to vote. We're going to spend, because we can't reach every door. Yeah. We can't mail every person. So we ignore you because we know chances are you're not going to vote. We only have so much money and time to reach people, right? Exactly. Now, you over 55, you're going to vote. You're going to get knocked. That door is going to get knocked down five times. We're going <laughs> to call you five calls. times because yeah. you're going to vote. We need to make sure you understand our platform. Mm. We, we want to hear your opinion. You matter. Okay? Wow. Yeah. You're under 25, you really don't matter. Mm. I, I'm sorry, but, you know, you just you don't vote. Right, and so if you if you're running for elected office and you're trying to get elected, who are you going to go interact with? Government yeah. class or the college students or the senior center? Of course. Yeah. So you bring up a great point. It, it's disappointing. Mm-hmm. Um, if I could ma- wave that magic wand, I would tell anybody that's 18 or over, vote. No matter yeah. what, go vote each time. Yeah. I mean, we all complain yeah. about our situation. Yeah. And so what I'm hearing from you is if you want politicians to pay attention to your issues, mm-hmm. have a voice. Have a voice. And the people who are going to influence you the most is not the national election. Yes, still vote in the national election, yeah. but make sure that you are aware yeah. of your local elections and get out the vote yeah. in those elections specifically yeah. as well. I would ask listeners, just do an experiment of five people you know in your city. Hey, can you tell me who's on our council? Sometimes they're single-member districts. Who's our council member? Yeah. Or they represent like Frisco, the whole city. Who's our council members? Yeah. And guess what? Every business card I had had my cell phone number on it, mm. my email address, everyone. Yeah. It's on my website. It's on my f- social media. You know how many calls I got? Minimal. <laughs> wow. You know? Call me if there's a problem. Yeah. I put my name out there. I volunteered to do this. And it's like, you know, people would rather sit at home sometimes and complain. Mm-hmm. Or complain on social media, but call the person that's helping make these decisions. Well, it's a lot easier to complain. They than work to fix for you. The issue. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they work for you. Yes, yeah. that's what they're doing. So interesting. Hold them accountable. Well, you mentioned a little earlier. There's a Jerry Jones helicopter story, and I think uh-huh. I need to hear this. Well, you know, it's bad for you, Jerry. So during the very first few weeks of the Star, when it was completed and getting opened up. We had right across the street from the star is a very wealthy community, uh, very high-end homes. Mm-hmm. And a this man, I get an email, probably three pages long. You all give Jerry Jones all this money, and you, but you can't stop. He's got his stupid helicopter flying over our houses on Sunday. I can't get any rest. Just on and on and on. Yeah. And it was really interesting. And and Jerry Jones that week, you know, they're they're masters of marketing. Of course. And sponsorship. So Airbus, they made a big deal out of his helicopter. It was in the news. Yeah. He'd landed. He was making production out of it. So, you know, when anybody's upset, you you, you don't jump to conclusions. So I emailed him back. says, hey, mm-hmm. let me take a look into this and let me see what's going on. Sure. I think I have a good idea what's going on, but let me at least look into it just to confirm. And then what I had known already is uh, we were putting HVAC equipment on top of the building. Mm-hmm. and we needed to close some streets around there for safety. Right. So Sunday was the least amount of traffic. So mm-hmm. it was a lift helicopter during the day putting units up there. Oh. It wasn't Jerry Jones. It wasn't him. It was just a helicopter. No rotor. It's, <laughs> it's one of those turbines. You can't hear the thing. Right. It's a quiet helicopter, right? Yeah. Um, so I emailed him back, said, I checked into it, sir, just for you, FYI. It was a lift helicopter that's putting HVAC equipment. It's temporary one-time thing. Uh, so I'm, you know, I'm sorry that you're getting bothered, but you know, thanks for letting us know. He yeah. writes back, says, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I just assumed it was Jerry Jones' helicopter because the articles and so." Poor guy, like I said, Jerry Jones gets blamed for everything. Now you can blame him for a bad record this year. Okay, I think he'll accept that, but yeah, he's not the fault of everything, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. 
No, that's too funny. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I've, I've heard you use this quote a few times, the best is yet to come. And, um, you know, you've, you've probably got a peek behind the curtain of a number of things that not everybody does. And boy, last year has been tough. Yeah. This year is started a little bit rocky there wasn't a magic <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah you, you sure. know yeah. yeah first you can't minimize the suffering and struggling people are are facing today and mm-hmm. more so last year and this year so far than any other time uh that i'm aware of and it's been challenging and um so this is not to minimize everything but in life you have to really spend your time thinking of how blessed we are and the things we do have um mm. And so when I say the best is yet to come, when you're working as a team, when you have a plan, the strategic plan is critical, whether it's a family or your business or a city, you have to know where you're going. Many times people ask me, you know, other other elected officials, other mayors around the country, as you're aware, I was involved with the U.S. Conference of Mayors. When I tell them we're opening four schools a year and we're adding 3,000 new homes a year, they look at each other, how do you do that? Wow, yeah. I said, well... I'll tell you how you don't do it. If you don't have a plan, it'd be a disaster. Mm. If you don't have a plan in your family, it'd be a disaster. Um, so when I say the best you have to come, when everybody's working together, it's amazing what you can accomplish. There's always something better, something always bigger. Mm. You know, we land the Rangers affiliate in Frisco. That was our first one. Yeah. Well, then you land the Dallas Stars. Then it's FC Dallas and Lamar Hunt was his coolest man. Yes. And great family, the Hunt family. You know, they were sincere about what they were doing. They loved what they were doing. Look at the Cowboys, the PGA. Um, so if you, you, you know, there's some people who just look at the glass half empty, right? Sure. Um, I would put to them that really the best is yet to come. Even with our current situation, mm-hmm. uh, it was a terrible 2020, yes. you know, and many people. But some people did okay. Mm. And for, the, for those that had a really rough time, I hope 2021 is the best is yet to come. Sure. Right? There, there's opportunities you have to go out there and make them. No matter how difficult mm. things are, lean on your friends. Lean on your business partners. Uh, ask for help. Uh, there's pe- that, That's one of the things that frustrates me sometimes mm-hmm. is, you know, we've all done it, right? Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you ask me? Right. You know, I, we could have solved this problem yep. um, together. So I hope people take that uh, the best is yet to come to heart. Um I hope they wake up in the morning and say the best is yet to come and then go make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. What are a couple um, ways you talk about making it happen? What are a couple uh, ways that you make it happen that you've seen successful that you can pass on to our audience to say, well, when I'm trying to push something forward or or I want to find a new business opportunity, what are some things that you find effective? You, you talked about planning or a couple other things. Well, there's two things that I really live my life by, and I've done a lot of, again, when I speak to students at Career Day, for example. uh, There's two things that I firmly believe in that I try to live my life this way. One is, whatever you do, do it to the best of your ability. Yes. That doesn't mean you have to be the best at it, whether it's sports or doing homework or taking out the garbage or business meeting or a deliverable. Just do the best you can. Yeah. And even when someone's, you don't think anyone's watching. That's mm-hmm. where the key is because people do notice. Right. Uh, and so <clears throat> you build, excuse me, you build a reputation of um, always giving a, a, a strong effort. Mm-hmm. And that's important. The second thing is uh, relationships. It's a lot of pre-work. Mm-hmm. You don't get up one day and say, here's a project and I'm going to go get it done. Mm. Okay. Most of the work happened before that. Yeah. And so relationship building, the old... I, I I always believed in this before I knew. I think there's a book written about it. I never read the book. But the old, old adage, don't eat lunch alone. Okay. Take your time. It's amazing how many people I've met that, you know, on the surface, they didn't seem like really good at something or a business person or a great educator. Uh-huh. You know, you, you, you old, you judge a book by its cover. That's yeah. completely wrong. They were really the the son or daughter, this kid that I helped was the son or daughter of the CEO, the biggest company coming looking in our area. Yeah. Didn't know that, but because I treated that person with respect Mm. and I got to know them, I learned something. Yeah. And so I would joke around that I was the smartest person in Frisco. Yeah. I'd say facetiously, but because I I really got to meet some really cool people Mm. and not what you think, not the president of the U.S. or, or, you know, the chairman of Boeing or whoever it is, 
but normal people that were really good at what they did. And I'd always learn something from them. Right. And so I would say to you, get out of your comfort zone. Go have that lunch with that person that you wanted to talk to. Call them. I bet you they'll say yes. Mm. You know, and meet them and talk to them. Number one, they'll learn something from you. Right. And you'll learn something from them. And one day you're going to need them or they may need you. Yeah. And that, that to me has been, you know, 90% of the, what I perceive as my success mm. is I could call the right person. Yeah. And, mm. and I don't, I, I built the relationship without asking for anything. I think that's really it, it, it's, big. Yeah. You know, it's, I didn't call because, because people get tired of that. This person always call me because they want something for free or yeah. they want, no, sell it's, something or it's I care. Uh, yeah. And I provide them things. Oh, did you ever think about that? Hey, maybe I can help you with this. Mm. Um, you have to be sincere about it. Right. But build these relationships of mutual respect, mm-hmm. of added value to each other. And and these, these are CEOs. Some some of the CEOs are the loneliest people I've ever met. Yeah. Because no one approaches them. They think they're on a pedestal. They don't want to be on a pedestal. They want to talk to you. Right. They want to interact with you. Mm. And you have value to them. Um so by doing that, when the time comes one day you need a specific piece of information or a yeah. little bit of help with something, and oh, yeah, I know he did this once. I remember that. Let mm-hmm. me call him. Well, you already have a relationship with him, right. and they're going to help you. Yeah. So that's probably been the most valuable thing to me in my, my ventures. Um, that's really inspiring and confirming to hear you say that I've heard a number of leaders talk a lot about making these connections without asking for anything back. Just reaching out and being a resource for people, yeah. being there for people, and the, the you know it comes back tenfold. Tenfold, yeah. And and you're being sincere. Look how we met, right? Right. Socially, yeah. And say, hey, can we grab lunch? Sure, let's go have lunch. Let's yep. talk. I learned some things from you, and then hopefully you learned a couple of things from me. And absolutely. And then you had some projects you worked on that you knew you learned during our lunch. That hey, I'd probably surprise you that I'm this old mayor thing new. About esports, right? Yeah. And so we had information to share that benefited both of us. Right. But it wasn't the intent of our getting together, right? So, Correct. So that's what I mean by that is you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. Right? So, yeah. That's great. Well, I really appreciate you joining us. Is there anything that you want to plug or share before we uh, end this with our audience? No. Today? Again, if you're listening to this, um, I'm happy to provide information. I think uh, you probably could provide my contact information. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I, I enjoy what I'm doing at Ryan. I would just plug that, I guess, is that I love public-private partnerships. If you there's a company that wants to grow or relocate, that's what I enjoy doing anywhere in the country. Love the international aspect. Uh, you know, yeah. I know it's kind of calmed down now, but I've been Japan, China, Dubai, uh, you know, a lot of international business stuff. So happy to help anybody that needs the help. Well, that's very gracious of you, and I really appreciate you taking the time to join me as well today here on the DLC Drop Podcast. Thank you again for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the DLC Drop Podcast. This podcast is part of the Esports Futurai Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and leave us a review. 